0: Let's get started with Ephesians chapter 6 today. Today is our last uh, time looking at this series in Ephesians chapter 6. It's the last chapter, so I'm going to spend a few minutes in review, uh, and then we'll get right into chapter 6. By the way, next week we call it Testimony Sunday. And what that means is usually uh, at the end of any given conversation, sermon series that we come to, we take the next Sunday and we have a Testimony Sunday. And what that means is, uh, usually, there's a couple of people that have volunteered to share a testimony specifically about how God's Word uh, had been changing them and helping them see new things and experience new things based on the series that we are just coming out of. Um, and then the next series that we'll be getting into, which will be two weeks from now, is I Love Church. That got your attention because many of us are thinking, I don't love church. I've never loved church, and most of my friends don't love church, but the new series, the new title of the new series is called I Love Church. Um, So I'm excited to be in the book of 1 Peter together for that one. Uh, So Ephesians, we've been using this little, tiny, but powerful little commentary called Sit, Walk, Stand by Watchman Nee. And he outlines essentially the entire book of Ephesians in a very succinct but powerful way. And he says that the first thing that the Christian needs to learn how to do isn't to go walk and to get busy and to do things for God. But the very first thing that a Christian in Christian discipleship needs to learn how to do is to sit. That is to rest in and believe in, trust in something that's already taking place. It means your identity is in Christ, it's stable, it's solid, and you're to sit in that. And as you grow and mature by sitting in that reality, you then begin to walk that out. Your life begins to change because of a new status. And then, lastly, and this is where we're getting at today, he says to stand, to stand, and he's. Saying stand because he's Paul, our writer, is saying there are all sorts of evil forces and powers coming against you. We kind of had a preface to that last week in chapter 5 when we talked about the fog that we're all in. And so today in chapter 6 he's going to talk about how can you protect yourself from the, the evil schemes of the devil. Because the devil is at work. And he's going to tell us something in this chapter that there's something called the armor of God. God has already provided armor for you and for me. Uh, It's a gift, and we simply need to to put it on. So if you're creative and artistically minded right now, and maybe you're drawing to what I'm talking about right now, you're probably drawing some type of soldier that has placed armor upon themselves to be protected by the the flaming arrows that are coming against you. This is an action-packed chapter that we're heading into. Uh, Let's read it together. Uh, Starting in verse 10 and concluding in verse 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. See, you can't just put on some of the armor of God. You've got to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Did you catch that? It's not, it's not about human against human. But against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to, to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. I love verse 18 there of even the little detail of him telling us how to keep all the armor on. It's through prayer. It's through prayer. Let's do that right now. Father, we pray. We pray. We ask that by your power, we would stand against the evil one. We ask that because of our identity in Christ, we would sit in that and be filled by that, and that that would fuel our walking it out, and that you would indeed give us power to stand against the evil one who wants to take us out. Yet because of the victory, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus were able to stand victorious. And so we pray that you would help us do that in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Did you catch the job description of a Christian that's written here? The job description of a Christian is not for you and I to go fight. That's a relief. It's not for you and I to go and attack each other, whether it be verbally, physically, physically, Your job, your job description, your identity as having had a new status, a new significance, and a new stability, chapter 1 of Ephesians, you are now to stand in that reality. You're to stand in that. That's your job description. And when we use the word stand, Paul is not using it here as in, well, how do you, where do you stand on that political matter? Where do you stand on the whole Kavanaugh or the whatever thing? How do you stand on that? He's not using the word stand as in a political matter. But he's saying by the power of Christ that has so penetrated your life, you are enabled to stand your ground against the evil forces. Are you tuned in with me? Are you getting into uh, the, the right mindset as we talk about this. He's not saying, what's your stance on this matter or that matter? But he's taking you back once again to your identity in Christ so that you may be able to stand. Paul is a Roman citizen. He's writing from a prison in Rome, and he's probably, as he's writing this letter, seeing Roman soldiers. Hence, lots of poignant illustrations here regarding this armor of God. He's literally looking at soldiers And now he's going to want to tell you what your armor and my armor needs to look like as you stand to fight against the evil one. I'm guessing that Paul is uh, remembering Isaiah chapter 59. Paul was in tune with the scriptures. Paul knew the scriptures. Paul isn't making up some cool, neat little illustration here. Isaiah chapter 59 talks about God as a warrior. God here to protect God here to shield. And in chapter 59 of Isaiah, God is wearing armor. Go read it. It's amazing. So when we talk through, and Paul is looking here at the armor, he's talking about you putting on God. All of this has to do with the character of Jesus when we get into this armor. Watch how it unfolds. Number one, there are six pieces of armor. The very first one here is we need the belt of truth. Now, if you've ever gone into a fight, um, I fought a little bit in, in high school. Um, I was a bouncer in college. Um, I'm, I'm super gentle. I love hugging people now. But um, if you've ever gone into a fight, the very first thing you don't say is, where's my belt? This, this, this doesn't come to your mind, where's my belt? Unless you're talking about your black belt or something. You're not looking for a belt, however for Uh, these soldiers, the belt played a significant role in holding, essentially, all the other armor in place. That's what it was for. And this belt, specifically, is the belt of truth. Notice the specificity here. He he brings up truth because why? The evil one operates out of of lies and deception. Totally, uh, Jesus calls Satan and the devil a liar. Just straight up, you're a liar. Uh, He ends up rebuking the Pharisees, saying that you know your father, the devil, is full of lies. Uh, He deceives you. He wants to lie to you. Um, The evil one creates pressure in your life and in my life to get you and I to believe things that aren't true about yourself, such as your identity. You ever feel that before? You ever feel those? You may wonder, oh, I was just in a funk yesterday, or I was just hangry. I didn't eat enough. Has something physiologically going on. That might be true. Um, don't forget, though, that there's spiritual forces of evil coming against you. And Satan is a liar. He hates you. He's coming to destroy you and literally wants to attack your identity. Uh, if you go look at Luke chapter four, he does the same thing with Jesus. Wow, exactly. Satan, the devil, shows up to Jesus in Luke chapter four. And the very first thing that Satan does to Jesus is he starts attacking Jesus' identity. And he says something like, if you are the son of God, blah, 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 blah. The evil forces uh, come against you and me wanting you to doubt truth. Wanting you to doubt your identity. So when lies are present, Satan's near. When deceit is around you, whether in a relationship or in the system, Satan is near. Um, there's a report out, a research, called Status, Status of Mind. I don't know if you read this report or not, this research group, uh, where it talks about how, how we uh, present a false self out there. And they say we do it over social media. And by the way, I'm not going after social media at all. You can follow me at... Um, but, but they're saying in this study that um, basically that, that Instagram is the most detrimental social media app for young people's mental health, followed by um, Snapchat. Their study surveyed about 1,500 young people aged 14 to 24 on how certain social media platforms impact health and well-being issues such as anxiety, depression, insecurity, self-identity, body image, etc., 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 and I'll quote, the study says, Because platforms like Instagram and Facebook present, or present highly curated versions of people we know and the world around us, it is easy for our perspective of reality to become distorted. Socializing from behind a screen can also be uniquely isolating, obscuring mental health challenges even more than usual. It goes on to say that Instagram draws young people to compare themselves against unrealistic, largely curated, filtered, Photoshopped versions of reality. I mean, we all do it, right? We take a hundred pictures of something, and we finally get that one, and then it's got to go through all kind of filters that we do, right? Why? Because we're trying to present a self, we're trying to present a reality... And again I'm not here to bash that but I'm here to remind us that to fight against any of those temptations you need to put on the belt of truth. And truth is simply viewing yourself the way that you just that you just are. That you're loved. You're liked. You're known. You're pursued. You're thought much of by God. That's your identity. That's who you are. That's my identity. So, when we live honestly, that's when we're pushing back the effects of the evil one coming against us. You want to know how to fight against the evil one? It's not like go fight against them, it's be honest. Honesty fights against the lies of the evil one. Be honest about the shame that you feel. Be honest about addictions that you know you have. Be honest about not knowing all the answers. Be honest about your depression. Be honest about how we really feel. Pete Scazzaro's book called Emotionally Healthy Church, and that was one of our previous series that we went through, an incredible book. He says, when you're not aware of what's going on inside of you, you're not in reality. And if you're not in reality, you're not in spirituality. Right? So we can talk about Christian growth and maturation and all of that, which is great, but it comes by you and I being honest with where we're at, not projecting or fronting, as some of my friends used to say. Um, So to move this forward, before you jump on Instagram, before you post that status, put on, put on, are you listening? Put on the belt of truth. Put it on. Uh, And it looks like this, Lord, help me live today according to your truth. Help me live according to the identity that you say that I have. Help me be honest about my challenges. Uh, a belt will only get you so far into battle. We know that. So number two, he says, put on this breastplate of righteousness. Uh, again, the evil one is shooting arrows at you, flaming arrows at you. God's word says that. Uh, this is 24-7. It's relentless. Um, that's the funk or the fog that we're all in here. And to help you stand against the evil powers, he connects this breastplate. And by the way, for Roman soldiers, um, it was made of iron. If you were rich, maybe you could get one that was made of bronze. But basically, it protected your shoulders as well as all the internal organs. I mean, this is necessary. Imagine walking out into the battlefield without that on. How ridiculous. Paul says spiritually, put it on. Put it on. You're opening yourself up for attack. You're opening yourself up for the devil to get the best of you. Put on the breastplate, he says, of righteousness. Here's what's so key. If you can get this word righteousness, understand it, your life will be changed forever. Okay, you with me? You hearing this? Uh, I I wrote the most amount of papers in seminary on this word. It's a Greek word called dikaiosunei. You try to say that with me? The kausune. All right, great. So, this word, uh, righteousness, has nothing to do with what you've done that's right. It's a status that God has given you based on what Christ's life has already done for you. Amazing. Life changing. It's a gift. Um, now see, if the strength of your armor, the strength of your breastplate was based on your accomplishments and your righteousness, uh-oh. you I'll speak for myself. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm going down. My record. So dikaiosune, the righteousness of God, is being transferred to you, given to you as a gift. Paul is borrowing a legal term. Imagine a judge that looks at someone in the courtroom who is guilty... And instead of saying that they're guilty, they say, you are not guilty. What? And on top of that, the judge says to them, not only are you not guilty, you are righteous. Whoa. That's what, that, those are the implications for how God now views you, believer in Christ. You are viewed as righteous. You are viewed as holy and blameless. We don't feel it, and, and, somehow, and, and that's kind of the problem with us is we don't live with this breastplate of Christ's righteousness on. We live in terms of a, I'm feeling like God loves me today. Oh, man, tomorrow, oh, I, I don't really feel like God loves me anymore. Oh, I read my Bible today. I feel so good. I feel like God loves me. Oh, man, I haven't read my Bible in a couple days. I don't know if God loves me. I'm volunteering a lot these days and I just feel God's love. I haven't really served anybody in a while and I just don't feel God's love that much. The breastplate of righteousness is a status that's been given to you not based on what you do or what you don't do. That's security. That's a stability. That's something that we need to um, get excited about that God declares you as righteous. See, we don't stand. He says, "Stand right here in Ephesians six. Stand." He lists it several times. We don't stand on our own righteousness. We're standing on the righteousness of Christ. We don't stand on our own identity. We're standing on the identity of Christ. We don't even stand on our own name. We're standing on the name. And in fact, that's why we pray in Jesus' name. You're getting this. This is amazing. Uh, Number three here, put on the helmet of salvation. Uh, And his whole point here is you you can't stand against the enemy if you're colluding with the enemy. Like you're participating with the enemy. You can't stand against the enemy. We're on a different team. You as a Christian, Ephesians chapter 1, 2, 3, you've been brought out of darkness into light. Walk in that. Stand in that. And here he's saying, put on this helmet of salvation by basically saying, this has been a gift to you. It's been given to you. The question arises, have I received salvation? Have I? Have I received salvation? Have I experienced that? Am I experiencing the effects of that? So to put it on, it means to remember the joy of your salvation. Remember it. Remember, especially when the evil one is shooting flaming arrows at you, wanting you to doubt that you have experienced God's salvation, wanting you to get all in a funk wondering who you are and if God even exists and if the Bible can be trusted and so forth. Uh, Saying, Lord, let me put on that helmet and live in gratitude for your salvation. Always going back to that gift that he's done. Number four here, says, put on the gospel of peace. Shoes. Uh, as a soldier, you, you you got you got to have on shoes. Come on, and and, and the Roman soldier would have on these leather kind of sandals. Uh, there's a modern day rendition of these I've seen before. They are not cool. Uh, you know, th- these things are bulky, big, leathery. Like um, anyway, so uh, th- they would also have nails going through the bottom of them to to dig into the soil, right? To give you traction. To get you to go somewhere. I played little league baseball growing up and i never forget the time that I wore my basketball shoes in a a baseball tournament. Worst decision ever. Slipping and sliding all around the place. He's wanting you to wear the right shoes here. Standing firm is what can keep you slipping. He says, stand firm. Um, It's this gospel that gives you power to do what you can't do in your own strength. Anybody remember D Brown, uh, 1990s NBA basketball star? I love D Brown, um, and maybe you'll remember this part. He he had a deal with with uh, with Reebok, and and he he had the Reebok pumps. You remember the Reebok pumps, the little ksk, 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 ksk. you literally you, you pump up the shoes right before you would go and dunk. And they revealed it, great marketing strategy. They revealed it at the slam dunk competition, and literally. Uh, D. Brown paused before he would dunk, and he, and he, he literally bent down and, and and just killed it, right? And I remember guys at school, like the following week, like they all went and bought the, uh, the Reebok pumps, and guess what? No dunks. No dunks. Um, you can't do this by yourself. You cannot muster up enough faithfulness this week and spirituality this week. He's calling it the gospel. These are gospel shoes. Gospel has to do with you've been empowered based on an identity that you have. I love that he says the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Christian, dear Christian, you're not called to fight. You're not called to fight. It's the gospel of peace. It's the gospel of peace. So Christian puts on the gospel uh, peace, those shoes, uh, before you get on Muni. But before someone catches an attitude with you, you need to put on those gospel shoes. Before you go to work and there's slander coming against you or gossip, flaming arrows, right? Coming all against you from other human beings, of course, or things that are going on that we don't really have answers for, put on those shoes, he's saying. Before you get on social media or before you read the news, please. Please put on the gospel shoes that give you traction so you're not swirling around wondering what you ought to do. And you know you put on the gospel shoes of peace when you're working towards reconciliation with others. No matter their ethnicity, no matter their social class, no matter what their hobbies are, no matter where they graduated from or if they did. But there's reconciliation happening because that's what the gospel of peace does. You can gather in diversity, you can gather in multiculturalism, and that become the thing that we worship. We, the Table Church, are a blessed, multicultural gathering of all sorts of different stories and people coming together to celebrate that. And it's the gospel of peace that binds us together, that won't destroy our gathering together. Number five, he says, take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. And we talked about these flaming arrows, and some of you, myself included, may have gotten hit. You may have been hit by some of these flaming arrows uh, this week. I'll get to those in just a second. The Roman soldiers would have a couple different types of shields. You might have the Captain America, you know, a little smaller type shield. You might have the gladiator. Watched that recently. The gladiator shield, huge, right? Um, This shield was solid wood covered with oiled leather. That's brilliant, right? Why oiled leather? So that when the flaming arrows hit it, it's extinguished. It's brilliant. The strategy that's there. But arrows that may have hit you this week, as I reflected on this for myself, one arrow is called criticism. Criticism. Usually the arrow coming through and by someone who... Really ain't even involved in the game, whatever game it is, but they're just sort of on the sideline. And boy, they got a lot of critique. They got a lot of um, opinion coming at you. Uh, shame. Shame sent your way. Someone that you're close to, and, and it totally just totally surprised you because of the trust that's in that relationship, and, and yet shame came your way from that person? What? Or someone who, who, uh, who makes a comment about the shape of your eyes or the texture of your hair, or the color of your skin. A flaming arrow coming at us. Someone violating your body. Someone violating your body. It's horrible. It's horrible. Someone betraying you when you thought they would never hurt you. Taking up the shield of faith is so that these arrows don't take us out. Uh, so, so that the arrows don't hit you and go into those deep places of your heart. See, criticism can come. Criticism will come. Opinions will come. But when you and I are taking up the shield of faith, I'm not left wondering, am I good enough? Am I really loved? Who am I? Should I continue to be an artist? Should I still be a pastor if this, this, this happened? Taking up the shield of faith is walking in that assurance of your identity and literally letting those things be extinguished by this shield of faith. It's coming out of an evaluation at work or a friend who gives you some friendly feedback. Been there? And the evil one wants to use someone's observations about you as an attack. The evil one wants to use that as a foothold to make you feel insecure, not worthy, You don't belong, any of that. And here's here's the good news, that all the flaming arrows that the evil one one wants to send at you will be extinguished by the power of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the good news that we're celebrating. It's almost like, yeah, go ahead and send all, don't go out there all by yourself in your own name, right? Right? But with this armor on, the enemy can try all the schemes. And here's the thing that you've got to hold on to today and in the future. The the enemy, the devil, Satan himself, can't take you out. Don't leave here thinking, oh, they said he's going to take me. No, he's not going to take you out. You need to stand firm, Paul says. Stand firm in the mighty power of God. Put on this armor. And this is where the church we're called to be not only a shield for ourselves, but we're called to be a shield for others who might not be shielding themselves. Right Out there, it's you better look out after your own, meaning yourself. And if you don't look after yourself, I'm going to probably take something from you. You better just scoot aside. That's what's happening. That's some of those flaming arrows. That's the fog. That's the funk that we're all in. But he's saying as a church... You're to to take up the shield of faith both for yourself, but also what Roman soldiers would do is that they would gather around a wounded soldier. Picture that. See how powerful that is. That's when you and I gather around someone who's an immigrant here in the United States. That's whenever we welcome someone in and we love that person. That's when someone doesn't have medical insurance that we find a way to help that person. That's a way that the church can place our shield around someone who needs counseling or therapy. In Jesus' name to do this. Together, put our shields around them in those ways. And lastly, number six, the sword of the Spirit. We're the sword of the Spirit. You know there are two ways for an enemy to take you out. The enemy can take your sword, uh, like um, just, just literally kill you with the sword. Or the enemy can take your sword like out of your hands, like, like flip it right out of your hands. And the good news here is the enemy cannot kill you. Jesus is saying, "Nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing can separate you, not, not even your own doubt. Nothing can separate you from my love." But here's what the enemy can do. The enemy can get you to doubt the sword. What is the sword? Well, if you look at the verses right there, it says the word, the Bible. So the enemy can get you to doubt the power of the very word that we're spending time in right now. It doesn't have any authority. It doesn't relate to me. It's not that modern. Blah, blah, blah. There's no power in it. Um, The evil one can also try to get you and I to use the word manipulatively on people. And historically, um, this has happened. In the name of the Bible, um, things like slavery has been done. In the name of the Bible, uh, putting women in their place, that's been done. In the name of the Bible, all sorts of um, erroneous, uh, hypocritical, horrible injustices have been done. So you understand that, that Satan can both use uh, doubt in your mind regarding the Bible, or he can make us use the Bible in like a pharisaical type way the way that the Pharisees used to use the Bible. What's the answer to all this? Memorize scripture. Place scripture in your mind. If, if you're not uh, aging yet, um, praise the Lord, if you're not aging yet, there will come a time when you start aging. There will come a time, perhaps, and I, we visited with Fizzy. Fizzy. Fizzy is a member of our church. She's 95 years old. We visit, Caroline and I visited with Fizzy She's looking great. She's recovering from a stroke. There will come a time in your life when you may not feel the energy to just open God's Word and read it, as simple as that sounds. The beauty, the power of memorizing Scripture is that Scripture has been placed in your mind, and the Holy Spirit, who lives inside the Christian, recalls the Word, brings the Word back up into your mind to minister to you when you can't read it. That's amazing. That's someone ministering to me. That's God's faithfulness pursuing me instead of me having to have all the discipline in the world and regularity and all this Bible reading and so forth. Meanwhile, do it. Get in it. Memorize it. Quiz yourself. Memorize scripture. Place it in your mind. Put the horoscope down. Put the horoscope down and take up the sword of the Spirit. Oh, but, but, but I'm a scorpion. Okay. What does the book of Ephesians say? The book of Ephesians says, take up the sword of the Spirit. Take up the word of the Lord. Memorize it. Place it in your mind. Hide it in your heart. Verse 18, we'll conclude with this one. The only way you can keep all of this armor on is through prayer. On all occasions, he says. This means when you feel righteous, pray. When you don't feel so righteous, You know what you did last night or last week or last summer? Pray. When you feel like a good person, a bad person, pray. When you feel like staying in bed because you're so depressed and it's so dark, pray. When you're excited and filled with so much energy you don't know what to do with it, pray. If you're going to stand, he says, pray all types of prayers. And that means we need quiet prayers. We need loud ones. We need one's uh, in all tongues, meaning all languages, we we need all types of prayers here. We need personal ones. We need corporate ones. We need formal ones. We need informal ones. All types of prayers coming from the heart. Here, Romans chapter sixteen, same writer writing to the Romans. He concludes that letter to them by assuring them that even though, even though the evil one is strong at work. Uh, God is stronger. God is stronger. And He assures them that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. See, at the cross, cr- Satan's tail has been kicked. I mean, Jesus just opened up a can and-, and kicked Satan's tail. He's been defeated. Yet, you and I, today, tomorrow, yesterday, in this reality that we're in right now, flaming arrows are coming at you, are they not? Aren't you exhausted? Don't you get tired of it? But you want Jesus' return. And that's what the church has always been crying. And that's what the scriptures talk about, is that Jesus will return. This story looks bad right now. This story's not over. We're protected by this armor of God. Put it on. Put it on. Let's pray. Let's let's pray and ask God to help us put it on. As, As music will be, playing here momentarily, just leading us into God's presence. God, we pray. Lord Jesus, we often live our lives without your armor. We're in situations beyond our strength. Thank you for the armor that you've given us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. You are the great I am. We sing declaring your power and victory over the evil one. Oh God, you are standing beside us, in front of us, behind us, and in us to defend us. That's why we pray in the powerful name of King Jesus. Amen. Amen.